Welcome to the CEC report for the 27th of July 2018. I'm Elisa Barwick. Joining me today is CEC Research Director Robert Barwick. Welcome, Robert. Thanks, Elisa. And on today's show, we have in a real crisis, <coughs> Australia's banks face $750 billion wipeout and trade war is a folly. US and world needs economic cooperation. Lisa, before we begin, um, it's Friday, so tomorrow is the Saturday of the Super Saturday of the five by-elections in Australia. And of course, we've been reporting here every week about Barry Mason's campaign as a CEC candidate in Perth for the Perth by-election. Whatever the result will be, uh, we know this has been a great campaign we've run to really educate the Perth public on Glass-Steagall. So we'll see what happens, and next week we'll give people the highlights of that Mm. campaign. Yep, lots of people have rallied to the push for Glass-Steagall, which is going to put a lot of pressure on the MP. So we'll talk about that a bit in this segment. We're going to go through um, the APRA stress tests, I should say, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago on the show already. Uh, A showdown that's building between APRA and the Royal Commission, which is going to be fun. Uh, And also the big super rip-off that has just been exposed by the Royal Commission. Um, So firstly, on the APRA stress tests, now um, uh, Wayne Byers, the head of APRA, the Australian Prudential Regulation Authority, announced the results of this stress test on the 11th of July, and it had occurred six months earlier, by the way. Uh, And Byers said that it proved that the banks were sound and would survive an economic downturn. Byers, in saying this, picture the, the owners of the Titanic saying, this ship is unsinkable. Mm. Picture that in your mind. (laughs) Exactly. So the APRA scenario, obviously they run a scenario to see what would be the result in a crisis. So they talked about a downturn in China, a closure of funding markets, a sell-off of the Australian dollar and a blowout in credit spreads. The result of which they said would be a fall in GDP of 4% over three years unemployment doubling to 11%, house prices declining 35% over four years. And they therefore estimate that the losses to the banking sector would be $40 billion. Now, two weeks ago, we showed a clip from Martin North from Digital Finance Analytics where he blew that apart. And he said, no, look, you're gonna be looking at closer to $310 billion. Uh, But we've now had an intervention by an economist we've also had on the show, John Adams, where he goes through that the result would be closer to losses of $745 Can you map out how he arrives at that figure? Okay, so John took issue with one of the assumptions in APRA's scenario, which is a 4% decline in GDP over three years. And the reason he takes issue with it is because He says APRA should be testing for a worst-case scenario. And they kind of implied they did. But he pointed out, well, hang on, twice in Australian history, we have had economic downturns, which have become depressions, where instead of GDP falling by 4% over three years, it fell by 10% in one year. And that was in 1892 and in 1931. Now, he then makes the point that at the time of those depressions, household debt in Australia was lower then than it is today. And in fact, um, one of the Reserve Bank officials back in 2007 gave a speech saying, as of 2007, household debt was higher in, in Australia than it was in either of those two depressions. And of course, this is now 2018, where it's gone from back when he when the Reserve Bank official said it was it was um, 
uh, 160% of income, it's now more than 190% of income, right? So he's making the point, look, you've got to compare these, these things because there's a, there's a real parallel here mm. and we've got much worse debt. So it's not a, it's not a fictitious thing to, to compare because it actually did happen. And then the final point is that in 1892, Elisa, that particular depression, which was even deeper than the 1930s, was on the back of a crash of a property bubble. Mm. And our bubble today is bigger than then. So there's the, have a look at this chart on the, on the uh, screen where the top line there, and all the figures relate to what APRA is claiming, that GDP has climbed up, it hits that peak, and then it goes down slowly over uh, four years and then comes back up again. And that's, what, that's, a, that's a little wave that APRA is testing for its Titanic. Our Titanic can survive this little wave. And John's pointing out, well, look at what happened. The, 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 the deep downward dive is both 1931 and 1892. And then in um, the 1931 depression, it came up a bit faster than in 1892, which was a much deeper depression. He says, you stress test for those, under, with all the other parameters being the same, you're looking at $745 billion in losses. And um, that not only destroys all the bank's capital, but it destroys any ability of the government to rescue them in, in, in the form of bailouts and bail-ins. Mm, that's, yep. what we're, that's what we're facing. And the result of that's obviously not going to be pretty, and you can see more about that in the Australian Alert Service, including the link to the original article uh, by John. Now, the uh, Royal Commission, they have their next phase uh, beginning, the next round of hearings on the 6th of August in Melbourne, focusing on superannuation. Uh, APRA is going to be called to testify for the first time, so that'll be uh, very interesting. Uh, now, APRA just made a submission to the previous round of Royal Commission hearings in response to Commissioner Kenneth Hayne asking them to clarify the balance they try to keep between the interests of the banks and the borrower. So, of course, um, Wayne Byers came out with a very spirited defence of the banking industry, not the borrower. Uh, now, he said th this was an interesting definition that he gave of banking, actually, which sets the stage for what we'll discuss. He said a bank's business is to take money on deposits and make loans to generate a profit. So nothing about derivatives or speculation or anything like that. Uh, then he goes on, <laughs> as with other business, it seeks to maximise returns and minimise losses on its business operations. And he adds that they cannot, the banks cannot take risks without prospect of an adequate return. And then in an 11th July speech, which was when he was actually launching the stress test at the Australian Business Economist event in Sydney, he then defended the bank's right to make a profit as part of its function. Emphasis on the right. It's good yeah, to, it's a like right. A, we have the right to life, property, etc. The banks have a right so to a profit. have a right to make a profit. But then overlaid on that, he said, are a bank's prudential obligations to protect depositors and ultimately, which means, you know, in the final case, financial stability, which is, of course, their number one priority in this period of financial crisis. That's, their, that's APRA's excuse for everything. We don't worry about what the banks do. We're only concerned about financial stability. Mm. And as long as they're profitable, they're stable, so we're happy. And he went on in this speech to warn that bank customers should not expect to be bailed out of every failed business venture. 
uh, rein he reinforced the concept of what is known as caveat emptor, which means let the buyer beware. And that basically means that if you're ripped off, it's your own fault, you should have known better. Yeah, should have gone into it with your eyes open. And he said consumers need to take more responsibility. He said it is important that the concept of caveat emptor remains in the system. He said regulators can't be everywhere overseeing everything. Of course, they're overseeing nothing. Uh, and he said it's important that the community understands that. And of course, he feels the need to express this because the Royal Commission's defending the victims here. They're defending their, their mandate is to you know, look at the business or the bank activity that falls below, quote unquote, community standards and expectations. And of course, they're levelling that standard at every banker on the stand, demanding to know why these standards have fallen below that. Lisa, this is quite extraordinary what Wayne Byers has done here, because what he said, his whole definition about banking, that the thing is, he's not technically wrong. It's the kind of thing that doesn't need to be said. It's not about you have a right to make a profit. You, that's what business is. You make profits, right? That to, to raise that in the context of what's come out of the Royal Commission, mm. right, where we are finally seeing criminality on a massive scale that was denied up until November last year by people who were actually covering it up. And anyone who gets to watch um, Four Corners on Mon that, that was just on Monday night about AMP is extraordinary. We were always, until November last year, we were hearing about the banks a lot, which is why we got the Royal Commission. But was anyone talking about AMP, mm. right? But... AMP, vertic the vertical integration of AMP has allowed it to just become this, um, this parasitical machine to, to loot every one of its customers on this enormous scale, including the dead ones, mm. right, etc. That wasn't, that wasn't being talked about. If it wasn't for the Royal Commission, this wouldn't be known and it would still be happening, right? Yet this jerk gets up and s starts seeing, thinking, I've got to defend the banks. Caveat emptor has to remain. No, the problem is caveat emptor has what's ruled this is what has ruled the system up until now. The banks, the banks, and the financial institutions' attitude is, well, they're the ones that are choosing to to um, uh, uh, do business with us, right? Mm. Um, and this is where, in, in the investment banking sector, there's an expression that the investment banks have called "rip their faces off." And what that when investment banker says, oh, "I ripped his face off," he's talking about the bank profiting from one of its own clients making a loss, right? And this is, a, this is known. You, don't have, you should have scores of police banging down the doors of these investment banks, arresting them wholesale for this kind of culture. No, it's an accepted part of the culture because we live in this social Darwinism, um, neoliberal era, right, where it's survival of the fittest. And that's what APRA has allowed to rule. But the problem is in coming out and saying it now, and reinforcing that, he's showing just how out of touch he is. And as you said, the Royal Commission was told in the terms of, re the terms of reference were lousy. But in those terms of reference, it said, look into anything that falls below community standards and expectations. And that's allowed the Royal Commission to say, you know, forget justifying this. What does the average, to all these people understand, what does the average person think about this? Mm. And those, those bankers have had to squirm and go, yep, no, this is below community standards. And that's why it's all come out. Mm. Now, we've got to take a quick break, but we'll be right back to discuss more of the juicy details right after this. Welcome back to the CEC report where we're discussing the $750 billion potential wipeout that our banks are facing. Um, Elisa, before the break, we were talking about the bad culture of the banks, right? And just what's been exposed by the Royal Commission. Um, and it's absolutely atrocious. And what people have to learn to understand is this term vertical integration, they have to equate it to evil when it comes to finance because 
This structure of the banking system, and you've got some AFR quotes where they try and defend the structure mm. again. They're defending this vertical integration, and that has allowed the banks just to become these machines to loot, fleece, and milk their customers on a massive scale, right? If you want to see mm. a prime example of just what the banks are feeling at the moment, right, as they should be, look at this ad. This is an ad that started playing. I saw it on TV last night, right? Just have a look at the ad. And then let me say my piece afterwards. There is always someone for each of us, they say. And you'll be my someone forever and a day. I could serve the world over until my life is true. Now, when I saw that ad, when it got to the funeral scene, they turn around and show all the moustaches. Mm. In my mind, and I think I said it out loud, I said, this better not be a bank ad, <laughs> right? When they are turning on that kind of psychological manipulation, right, telling such a wonderful story and then it ends with Westpac, mm. one of these big four criminal operators, right, that is disgusting, it, we just had a meeting in, in the room here where we almost had to hand around vomit buckets, yeah. right? This is, they, th they are trying to um, rehabilitate their reputations, but you know what, it's not going to work. Um, the public, I suspect, many of the public, any bank victim is going to see that and have the same reaction mm. I did. If they think that's going to rehabilitate them, mm. they're, they're sinking their case by doing that type of thing. Well, it shows how desperate actually they are. And that came through also in this article on 19th July in the Australian Financial Review. And they've run a number of pieces we've reported on the show where they keep um, saying, you know, this Royal Commission better not lead to something like Glass-Steagall. I mean, not always using those terms, but indicating that. Um, so this latest defence of the banks from the Royal Commission praised the APRA submission to the Royal Commission that we just spoke about, saying it has done a public service by reminding us what the real purpose of banking actually is, which was the quote from Wayne Byers before. So Wayne Byers, not the Royal Commission has done the public service, the guy who's oh, yeah. defending the banks has done the public service. Yeah. Um, and they went on to say that, you know, AFR de defending the bankers, of course, the financial community, that our idea of banking is under siege by Royal Commission um, pushed, which was pushed for by populists. They go through, you know, One Nation, Bob Catter, etc. that role there. Um, they say it will just become much more difficult for banks to set risk or even function properly if customers are trained by the theatre element of the Hain Commission to think that they can never lose out. I really hope Kenneth Hain is reading these kind of articles and to see them calling his commission theatre. Yeah. Right? He should rip them apart. And it reminded, it ended by reminding uh, Kenneth Haim of his terms of commission, saying that this is not a review into the role of banks in the economy or how the financial system should be most soundly structured. And there it is. That's the issue there. Because Bob Catter's bill destroys vertical integration. It should not be allowed. It should never have been allowed. It's a huge conflict of interest. And there's a bill in Parliament that Bob Catter introduced, Andrew Wilkie seconded, called Glass-Steagall, right? Banking Separation Bill. 
it will end it once and for all in the cleanest way. It should, no politician has a leg to stand on to mm. argue against it, actually, in the mm. context of everything that's coming out. Now, we've got a couple of minutes to talk about superannuation quickly. And there's a, there was a 2010 APRA research paper, which has been exposed in the media in the last week, which warned the regulator, warned, it was an internal document, which warned APRA that banks were overcharging super fund fees by two and a half times more than market rates, which amounted to 700 billion more than overseas super funds charged over the last 20 years. And returns that were delivered from those funds were about half the rest of the market, half the amount. Um, Dr. Wilson Sai, who was a former APRA researcher, has also made a submission to the Productivities Inquiry into um, Super, and he has said that APRA has worked against market transparency, prevented competition, and facilitated the widespread gouging of funds. And rather than, rather than enforcing the law, APRA has sought to change it, thereby facilitating this kind of looting. So yep. he was very looting. blunt. Of course, you know, he worked for APRA, and of course they shut down the research department that did this 2010 paper. Yeah. Um, the other thing you might want to comment on is that the Australian reported that APRA is a victim of industry capture, i.e. it's a mouthpiece for the major banks because six of the nine executives that run APRA are former senior banking executives. Alisa, and this, this, that part there has been a big problem in the global banking system for a long time. There's this industry capture, or regulatory capture they call it. There's a revolving door between the banks and regulators. But in the case of Australia, the door is clogged. <laughs> this revolving door is clogged with bankers. with bankers, investment bankers, six of the nine. It's quite extraordinary. They, this, the idea that this was a regulator, this is a supervisor, this is there to protect us, mm. see our, oversee our, our interests. No, no, this is, this is quite, you know, that, that this has come out. It's also extraordinary that it's the, Austra the Australian newspaper in the last two weeks that it's gone to town on this super question, mm. going after the banks and after APRA, because that's Murdoch. And um, Murdoch, it, when, when Mur Murdoch is the first in any kind of political environment to switch sides, mm. right? So he's, the, he's a staunch neoliberal defender of the banks, defender of the Liberal Party. His own publication's doing this. Mm. That tells you there's a sense that the jig is up, mm, right? That's good news. Um, it is good news. What, what the banks have been able to do is super. Unfortunately, this is why super was set up, so that the financial system could, be, could fleece it and it's going to be the beginning of the end of big changes and we'll have our own mm. proposals for that too. So don't forget to keep getting back to your Member of Parliament about whether he's going to support our Glass-Steagall. Oh, and incidentally, because our Glass-Steagall bill stops banks from owning super funds, mm. right? It fixes that as well. Mm. There's, nothing that's, there's nothing in the financial system, almost nothing that's not fixed yeah. by our Glass-Steagall bill. Hammer your MPs on this. Yep. We'll be right back right after this break. Welcome back to the CEC report. Trade war is a folly. US and world needs economic cooperation. Now, after three announcements of uh, various tariffs on Chinese imports into America, President Donald Trump has now started talking about tariffs on every single Chinese import, meaning all $505 billion worth. And of course, because China only imports $130 billion worth from the United States, there's no way that they could match that. So Trump's saying, look, you know, this is a war we can't lose. Yeah. What our thesis is, is this is a war everyone will lose if it continues. 
Um, China's investment into the United States has dropped 90% in the last six months. It's beginning to drop here in Australia, as people would know if they're watching the media. In the US, agriculture has been hit very hard by the retaliatory taf- tariffs put in by China and input costs, of course, because America brings so much from China and from overseas, costs of doing business, costs to consumers. Um, Alcoa has just said that the tariffs could wipe out $100 million of their income this year. So it's having a big impact there. It's having a big impact on China. Um, What we wanted to talk a little bit about was the difference between a protective tariff and a punitive tariff, because if you look at the state of destruction of US manufacturing, as you could look at here, what are you trying to protect? No, exactly. The the problem for uh, Trump is he's 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 been fed a crock by um, people with a real anti-China bias, and it's far beyond economic. Like people like Steve Bannon and, and Peter Navarro, they they're racist against China, and I don't like throwing that word around loosely. But Steve Bannon's talking about a two thousand year war with China. Well, give us a break. Malaysian Prime Minister Mahathir Mohamed said China's been our neighbour for 2,000 years and we've never been scared of it. They've never invaded us, mm. right? The Portuguese came and visited us once in, 15, in the 1500s. The next year they came back and invaded us, yeah. right? So it, China's a different culture and people got to stop hyping it. But the thing with, um, uh, the, thing with the tariffs is we, we believe in tariffs, mm. right? Tariffs are, import, are, are a very important thing and a country should protect its industries, but... With America, they've let so many industries go, right, that they're not what Trump's tariffs aren't achieving anything. Mm. Trump would have been far better. He he promised a trillion dollars on infrastructure, mm. right? If it would have been far better for Trump to, to revive America's industries by building a trillion dollars worth of infrastructure or more, other estimates where they needed five trillion, cooperate with China to do that, who are the infrastructure experts in the world at the moment, right? But all those, all those jobs in America, they would have, it would have increased the demand for steel and all these things Trump would have brought back. Mm-hmm. So just to do the tariffs as a punitive thing rather than um, government actions to revive American industrial yeah. with infrastructure is nuts. Yeah, and Jeremy Corbyn, the leader of the Labor opposition in the UK, had the right approach. He gave an excellent speech on the 24th of July to business leaders in Birmingham, um, and it was to launch his Build in Britain campaign. So he's also talking about protecting manufacturing and industry. But what he said is the approach that should be taken. He said Britain um, should, we should have new government procurement rules to support our own industries. We need investment into infrastructure, investment in education and training, support for small and medium enterprises through a national investment bank and a network of regional development banks and measures to get the dirty money out of the city of London and disincentivise financial speculation. And that's important because right now you've got the Chinese currency, the renminbi, devaluing, so you could end up with a currency war too. It's not China's fault. It's because the US dollar's going up, interest rates. But you also have $5 trillion a day of speculation in foreign exchange contracts, which occurs out of the city of London and Wall Street. And unless you stop that, you can't really control the price of trade because the price right. depends on currencies. And our farmers have always experienced that. They'll, they'll, have a, they'll finally have a good year and then if the price of the crop isn't low, mm. the currency will, our currency will soar through the roof and take away the price anyway from them. This kind of manipulation happens all the time. Um, Corbyn is right. What, he's, what Corbyn's taking on the, is the vested interest in free trade, right? 
and saying let's have real trade that actually benefits everybody. And just quickly, one of um, the city of Leicester in the UK turned around its financial fortunes by getting rid of this idea of compulsory competitive tendering, where they anyone around the world was allowed to tender, and they said no, we're going to procure locally, and that transformed that and Corbyn's saying let's do it for the whole of the UK. Mm. And you can read more about that in the Australian Alert Service including about how China's the only thing that's basically kept the world economy going since the 2008 GFC with a new one coming we can't because cut that in, out. Because it invested in real things. So thanks for tuning in that's all we've got time for thanks Robbie see you next thanks, week. You.